Hello, and welcome to the TV Movie Rewind Podcast with Matt and Todd. Hi, everyone. Uh, today we are doing the incredibly, it's the, my favorite Francis Ford Coppola film. Francis Ford Coppola is, of course, you know, one of our great directors, but my favorite of him is absolutely The Outsiders. Sure. And this has been on our list to do right from the beginning, but I've held off because there was a specific guest I wanted to have on while we were doing this episode, and we finally booked her. It's somebody we both known for a long time. A uh, good long time. Do you um, really know anyone, Matt? Do you really know anyone? This is true. This is true, because I think the, they, they, they thought they knew Dally, but maybe they didn't right. quite know Dally as they well. But anyways, here's our special guest this week, our sister Kristen. <laughs> thank you guys for having me. Well, hey, Chris. thanks well, for this being is your, on. Um, this is your favorite movie, right? It is one of my favorite movies. It, it really is. is. It is one of my favorite. But I, I wasn't sure if it there. was you. You know, it's funny because for actually from a teen standpoint, like hot throbs type of thing, it's like one of the movies that stands out that when I was about thirteen, that that was the movie to see. Oh hell yeah, yeah! I can see that for sure. Yeah. Does this have a young, attractive, well-known cast in it? Yeah, what you ever noticed? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this I is... remember in school when kids had gone to see it at the movies. I didn't see it at the movies. I think I saw it probably on VHS for the first time, and I was so jealous. Who who well, was your favorite? Who we have to know? I mean, just get it well, out of the way. Ralph, Ralph Macchio is my favorite. Ralph Macchio. Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, that's what I figured. Uh, you first saw it on HBO. Was um, oh, that right? Eight o'clock premiere. Oh my God! You remember that? Here's why. This is a story I, I don't. I've never told. Uh oh. Uh oh. Because I wanted to stay up and watch it too. <laughs> ah. I, I was not allowed. You know, you're you're the older sibling. I don't know how you're still 29 and I turned 50 this year, but right? <laughs> yeah, it's weird how that works. Um, so you're allowed to watch it, and you know I remember I, I was I was staying up, I was like staying awake in bed, and as the movie started, I snuck to the hallway, <laughs> so that I'm listening. To I remember movie. that move, <laughs> not not seeing it, but listening into it, and I could hear you and Ma talking about the movie, and you're watching it, and you're 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 getting tense about certain parts because you know there's some tension in the movie and. You know, um, we know how the movie ends. Right. With, uh, well, at least how Matt Dillon's character exits the movie. Right. Well, I had probably nodded off to sleep just before then and was coming out of it. Oh, no. And I heard the gunshots and the yelling. And in my sleepy haze, I dreamt that they were all being killed by a rival gang. And that was the gunshots of the and the yelling. Oh my so in God. my mind, oh, wow. before I even got to see the outsiders, the outsided uh, outsiders ended with them all being shot dead. Oh wow. no! <laughs> so the movie has a much more upbeat ending, in my opinion. <laughs> I, I suppose it does. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was surprised at how happy the ending was. <laughs> I suppose it does. I, I I don't remember exactly when I saw this. Um, I was relatively young, obviously younger than both of you, but I, I don't think it was too long after um, at least you had finally seen it, Matt. Well, 
I believe it's a PG thirteen movie or yeah. you know, PG. So it did play on HBO. I was gonna say I think it predates PG thirteen PG thirteen by just a little bit, like a oh, year. That's or less. right, because the first PG thirteen movie was Red, Red Dawn, Dawn, which was oh, something yeah. else. I forget the other one. Yeah, there was two at like the same time, and I forget what the other one is. But Red Dawn is the one I remember the most. Yeah, but it was um, allowed to play. You know, HBO would play it during the day when when they wouldn't play R-rated movies during the day at that time. So eventually, we you know, I, I think it was probably even a week later we got to see it. It was right. just during the debut when it was later in the evening we weren't allowed to stay upstairs. I remember what's what sticks with me the most um, when I think back of this movie is how much I liked it, even as. I don't know. I was probably, well, I probably saw it when I was just uh, about the same age as to when you were listening to it, maybe slightly younger than that. Um, And this wouldn't have normally been a movie that would stick with me. Normally I would expect something much more violent or comedic or something, you know? Um, But, you know, the, 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 the impact of this movie stuck with me anyway. Um, And of course it was fun as I got somewhat older and saw some of these actors again, be like, Oh yeah, that's a guy from the outside. And that's a guy from the, Oh, and that one too, (laughs) you know, because they all, um, I mean, the whole cast did pretty damn well for themselves, especially just after this movie. Oh, they all, yes. They all had extremely, extremely um, good Hollywood careers. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Tom Tom Cruise has probably got the smallest of the main cast in part. That's true. Rocketed to stardom. Yep. Right. I mean, of course, you know Rob Lowe, C. Thomas Howell, Matt Dillon, um, especially media, and and Patrick Swayze. I'm sure you know if he was still with us, would still be, you know, knocking Abs- him dead. Absolutely. He'd still be in something. He'd be, probably a TV series. He'd probably be in one of the Yellowstone offshoots or something. Yeah. Oh yeah. Ooh, oh, that'd yeah, be I a good def- position for him to be in. Yeah. He was the oldest. Uh, uh, he was 30 at the time this movie was made, which made him, you know, a good nine years older than the he nearest. Was this? Okay, I wouldn't have expected that, but he definitely looks like, even for 1983, it's like, yeah, you're not a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> Christian, do you know who the second oldest of the cast is? I actually do. I do know it was Ralph Macchio at 21. Yeah. That's surprising. That is so, because he looks so much younger than the rest of them, including right? C. Thomas Howell. Like a baby. I, think, I think you said C. Thomas Howell was the youngest, Matt. C. Thomas Howell was the youngest. He yeah, was and only he looks 16 younger. at the time. Yeah. He looks younger. I was like, if you had said, you know, Ralph Macchio was the youngest and he's like 15, I would have said, yeah, sure, of course. Uh, he, he, he looks that much younger. Then you got Diane Lane, who was 17, and I'm quoting Francis Ford Coppola, but I completely agree. The incomparably beautiful. Diane Lane. He really is. And actually, I'm surprised she was only 17. She looked a little older. Same. Than me. Yeah. Well, you know, girls mature, old, mature faster <laughs> than boys. Well, also, it doesn't help that there's like such a range among the boys that she's supposed to be working up against. Like, it's hard, it's hard to peg them. Uh, next oldest would have been Rob Lowe at 18. Then you had. He's only 18 in this? Man. Yeah. yeah. Then you had uh, Emilio Estevez and Tom Cruise, who were both in there, who were both 20. Uh, Matt Dillon was also 18. And for a lot of them, like, this was Thomas C. Thomas Howell's first major film role. It was Rob Lowe's first role entirely. Uh, it was Ralph Macchio's fourth film. Fourth, wow. Matt Dillon's sixth film. Patrick yeah. Swayze, it was only his second. 
Steel Dawn before this, or was it after? Oh, Steel Dawn was after. Uh, his well, first was thing was something like Skate Town USA. Okay. <laughs> um, it was Emilio Estevez's fourth film, but he had a lot of small, you know, roles. Um, and his you know, third on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah, it's the third Emilio Estevez film we're covering. Tom Cruise, this was his second big role after Taps, which we covered on this podcast. And just before Risky Business, right? That would be the next? Yeah, I think Risky, Risky Business was after this. Yeah, that or... And then The, the Color of Money, right? All the right moves, I think. Oh, yes. I completely uh, forgot about that movie, yeah. This was Darren Dalton, who plays um, um, the Soch, Randy, Wait. his first film. Oh, this was his first. Interesting. Yeah. And Leif Garrett, who's well-known also, you bar- but you barely saw him in the movie. Yes. This was what surprised us. He's probably Garrett the most well-known. Exactly. Already, yeah. He was past the prime of his career, actually, surprisingly. Right, but he still would have been the most recognizable oh, name, yes. really. I remember from, Mom was actually football. excited to see him. Well, yeah, that's true. That's the thing is like he was almost the marquee name that they could attach to the movie. Yeah. Much like much like Alec Guinness was the marquee name to put on Star Wars. Right. Leif Garrett was the the marquee name that they could put on this movie. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, an absolutely phenomenal cast at the beginning of their career. And they were all apparently encouraged to ad lib and do all the little things like at the beginning of the movie when you see Tom Cruise do a forward flip off a car and he gets up holding his head because he doesn't quite clear the car. Yes. <laughs> that was, you know, something he just did. And, you know, they, the Coppola says, um, you know, Tom Cruise always went for it. He always went 110% and everything. And... Well, that tracks. I mean, he does mostly his own stunts, the, right. especially the, the, the more ludicrous it would seem to be, the more likely it is he's doing it. <laughs> I should point out also, we are discussing the yes. complete novel version of the film. Which today was the first time I've seen that version. I never saw the complete novel version before. It is Coppola's preferred version. Yeah. For many years, he was, you know, he, he had filmed all this stuff and the producers of the movie were like, well, we need it. This is going to be aimed at a teen audience. They, they're not going to want to sit around this long. They want it going to be want it faster. And, you know, we want it, We want to pace it better. And we want to cut the length. And while he says he wasn't told specifically to cut anything, it was his decision on what to cut right. for years. He was always felt like, no, it's not the novel. Right. It, it's not. And he got letters for years from, from fans saying, why did you cut this? Why wasn't this in the, the the movie? And so he cobbled together what is now called the complete novel cut. It is his, it is his preferred version of the movie, and it also has a different soundtrack. The original soundtrack was much more orchestral, and it was written by his dad, Carmine Coppola. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Yeah. In fact, um, the, the, the doo wop, all the all the period music was not in the original cut. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Except for Gloria. Gloria okay. was in the original cut, but that was the only rock song in the original cut. Everything else was orchestral because Coppola even told his dad, I want to go for a gone with the wind type of feel. Oh. Okay. And yeah, when Some they of the got it, it makes sense, yeah. When they got it and completed it, Coppola was like, We overdid it, but we're we're committed now. 
<laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so the other thing that was, of course, in the original uh, soundtrack as well is the Stevie Wonder song, Stay yeah. Gold. But yeah. the music was written by Carmine Coppola. So uh, Stevie Wonder wrote the lyrics and sang them, but the music oh. is written by Carmine Coppola. I, I just thought that was an original song by him and didn't. Okay. I always okay. assumed it was, too, because, yeah, you know, Stevie Wonder. I just assumed right. it was original. Never oh. assumed it was something made just for the movie. Now, you know, I could, I could kind of, I, especially for fans of the book, like I, I could understand the, maybe backlash isn't the right word, but, you know, I could understand the initial reaction because as far as I understand it, this movie was made because um, very sincere fans of the book begged, uh, you know, wrote to Coppola and begged him to make it. A yeah, a school. I think they were the, like the library club at school, which was what we would we call a book club today. Right, right. Read and loved the book, and they wrote to Coppola, you know, inquiring as like, would you please turn this into a film? Which, which is a great story. But then when you go back to like, hey, you know, cut this part out. If if this is true, like if that's what was said, you know, hey, cut this stuff out because kids aren't going to like it. It's like I think you've misunderstood how this started in the first place. I suppose well, they right because exactly what they want me to do. Uh, again, you know? the way the so, way weird. The way Coppola describes it is that he was told to shorten the film. He wasn't told what to cut. It was his yeah. decision on what to cut and how to pace it. Right. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I suppose what he cut is not the worst, right? It still is a great movie, even without it. But I do appreciate the addition because it does make the ending a lot easier to, to go with. I, I agree. I, agree. I, for many years, was unsure whether or not the movie ended with Pony Boy in the boys' home. Right. I, you know, right, for many because years, they I left it maybe... open-ended in that version. You're right. Yes. Yep. Yes. In, in this, it's much clearer what happens. Right. There's there's an entire beginning and ending to this movie that were cut out. Yep. yep. And uh, even Coppola says, like, you know, the biggest mistake about cutting out the original introduction of the movie is he cut out where every character is introduced. Right. Yes. Yes. The movie, the, the movie in the theatrical basically starts with. Pony Boy and Johnny Cade, played by C. Thomas Howell and, and Ralph Macchio, coming up to Dallas, played by Matt Dillon, and said, all right, let's go. Yep. Whereas originally it, it, it begins with him, Pony Boy, coming out of a movie theater, being harassed by a carload of socias and chased through the streets. And yes. them holding a knife to his throat when the greasers come out of nowhere to his rescue. And again, showing Tom Cruise giving 100 percent as the car is driving away he's hanging on to the side of the car <laughs> yep and we're introduced to the whole dynamic of the cast we, we find out you know we, we meet Patrick Stacey playing Daryl Rob Lowe play, playing Soda Pop and we immediately find out okay they are his older brothers we meet um, 2-Bit and Steve Randall played by Emilio Estevez and Tom Cruise who are like what are you doing right by yourself you know well, what is business of yours what do you mean what business is of mine you know look what they did to my nose <laughs> um, we see Johnny Cade basically playing in the background and it's you know I when I was a kid I don't think I could appreciate acting as much as I do now right 
and Maggio's just it's a brilliant performance. He's great. Of an absolutely broken individual. And yeah. terrified. Yes. And terror that terror. You could feel yeah. it. He's he's I mean, he carries even though I mean I guess it's hard to say who this movie is actually about. I mean, I guess it's really about all of them, but it's also about as much about Ralph Macchio's character, Johnny Cade, because it's told more or less through C. Thomas Howell's eyes. Um, you know, the beginning of the movie especially sets up the framing sequence of this version, especially rather sets up the framing sequence of it being told as a flashback through C. Thomas Howell's experience. And there's good reason for that, as we'll find out. But um, I mean, this is practically Johnny's story. Because there's so much going on that he has to just convey with his emotions and just like, you know, short monologues to really understand like the depths of what he's going through, right. into, including the points where he just references, you know, I'll probably even kill myself at some point. Like, that's just how bad it is. Right. Well, I mean, as bad as we saw how it began for Ponyboy, you know, see Thomas Howell, it is miles worse for Johnny. And they're only kind of aware of it. Um, you know, because the rest of them are tough and they're together, like they're brothers. They're, you know, I mean, Johnny is part of the group, but you can tell he's a little bit further away than the rest of them are. So he feels just that much more isolated. It's crushing. Yeah. I Especially the more you understand it, the older you get. Like when I was a kid, it's just, oh, good actors. They look cool doing cool things. I want to be a delinquent too and go run <laughs> off to church by myself. That's, you know what I mean? Well, That's what yeah. you're thinking when you're 10. But when you watch it again later, it's just like, oh my God, this poor kid. <laughs> you know? <laughs> You, you get that almost, um, yeah, like a Huckleberry Finn sense mm-hmm. that, you know, oh, right. they don't have, you know, their parents don't care what they're doing. Right. Isn't that great? It's a little bit like Peter Pan. To the movies yeah. And, yeah. and it's all so much fun. And now it's right. like, oh, my God, what a dark, depressing world these poor kids <laughs> Right. Are. Exactly. Right. Like when I was a kid, this felt more like watching, yeah, Huck Finn or Peter Pan or something than it is. Yeah. That you really guess, grasp. Um, what's going on. And for this to be written by, a, you know, basically a child herself, 15 or I guess the bulk of it, you know, Essie Hinton, uh, when she wrote this to to really kind of like get into the background of these characters that she was aware of because she went to school with them. I mean, not by name, but, you know, the the, the what she felt at the time and what she saw at the time. I mean, it's really deep stuff. <laughs> really well done, especially to be made by, you know, also a great filmmaker with great actors into a great movie. But that's, I mean, not to be overshadowed. I mean, basically a child wrote this. Um, yeah. Well, in my opinion, just as far as the main characters are, I feel personally the main characters are Johnny and Dallas. And the story is told by the perspective. You know, obviously the perspective is from Ponyboy, but it's him kind of telling their stories and the dichotomy of how two kids from the same part of town Almost, you know, they both don't have parents who seem to care about them. One is this this more innocent. One is like more Charles Starkweather, and, and the, the other is, yeah. you know, turned aggressive and mean. Right. You know, just another misfit kid, another burnt out town. Right. Right. No, I'm, I'm inclined to agree. That's that reference. I, I, I'm inclined to agree with you, Matt. Like the story is about really everyone in a, in a way, the story is almost about everyone, not but pony, but like it's, it's totally pony is telling the story of everyone through, they, through his eyes, but the story isn't as much about him. Like he's just, he's witnessing it all. And, and for lack of a better term, while the Curtis brothers are of course, brothers, they're kind of all brothers, right? right. You know, they, like, they very much that way. Yeah. Two bit is clearly just as much an older brother to, 
Pony and Johnny as, you know, right. So the pop is to, to Pony. And then, yeah, then you have Steve Randall, Tom Cruise. I'm not, I mean, I guess a, a friend, a longtime friend or something. I'm not, I'm, you know, I mean, not a Curtis, but he's as in with it as, as everybody else. And, and he works with Soda Pop at the gas station. Right. All right. So let's, we'll, we'll get into the movie. Um, as we said, it's, you know, it starts with Pony Boy being harassed and the, they come to his rescue and, you know, we also learn that they're orphans and Daryl is now basically responsible for his two younger brothers. It's not clear, at least in the movie, how much older Daryl is than um, Soda Pop. I would gauge it at at least five to six years. That's that's what I would have said. I would, yeah, I would guess that too. At most. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, so he's he's got his own little roofing business trying to make things as uh, um, make ends meet and keep his brothers out of trouble and keep his family together. I, he's not doing the greatest job of it because no. let's well, face it, this is something he's been thrust into. Right. He's he's a kid himself. Um, he's relatively young. So he only has I mean, his parents seem like they were good people, but he only has so much time with them to gain any sort of sense of, oh, here's what I do next. He's also supposed to be a cool kind of greaser leader, but right. also a brother, but also a father, but also a mother slash well, provider. He's barely like an that. adult. Yeah. And he, right. he he's barely an adult himself. Two other people. Right. Just, just at the time of his life where he probably wants to be off on his own, exactly. living his own life. Exactly. And, and another part that, you know, it's just kind of, sad that it was missing from the movie so long is you know basically pony boy uh, sorry soda pop explaining to pony boy it's like you know when pony boy's confused like you know we all used to get along fine what's what's wrong now and, right and soda pop, soda pop basically yeah. saying you know yeah because before he was just our brother mm-hmm. now he's you know we were his brothers now we're his responsibility right right So now we cut to um, where the movie originally opened and, you know, Dallas, uh, Pony Boy and Johnny, you know, off to go sneak into the drive in to watch Beach Blanket Bingo to one of the greatest rock songs of all time. Gloria. Yeah. Being, you know, growled out by the great Van Morrison. Yes. I believe it was with the band called They. I think that was the name of his band at the time. But, I mean, it's just such a classic song. And, mm-hmm. you know, along the way, you learn that, you know, these guys are buddies. And Dallas is obviously more of the bad boy. But he's good with kids. He's really good with the younger kids. You know, he wants to show them how to play different types of card games. And he wants to make sure they get good exercise. So, you know, he puts them... <laughs> You know, they all go a little running and let's jog. And that's when he's like, all right, it's getting dark. Um, let's go. Let's go to the movies. Sure. <laughs> you may have a different interpretation. That's how I like to see it. I mean, he's not. I mean, and I, I use this. I use this analogy. Uh, what? About once an episode. He's not Ace from uh, the Cobras. And Stan, yes. Which is critical. Yes, like those- it's as bad as these guys are, and and the beginning of the movie does. What I also liked about the, um, you know, putting the original footage back in is it sets up a lot better kind of what the stakes are. It doesn't seem as, um, it doesn't seem as out of a place as it might be later when they get to it. It just shows like really just how much these two groups hate each other, and how far they're willing to go to hurt each other. Yeah. 
like how 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 far they keep escalating. I sh I, I should I should say, you know, it just keeps escalating and escalating. Yeah, I mean, it, seriously, the movie you know begins with a fourteen year old kid who's just walking home from the movies, being harassed by a carload of kids who are in much a older social standing. That too. Yeah. yeah. Three of them in a car, much older, and they pull a knife on them, uh, and cut them. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, it, it's it, it, and and that's the tension it brings. So when they arrive at the the movie theater and it's you a see lot that there's socias and greasers all there. Right. It's a you lot get, different. Right. Because when I watch it now, it's like there's an air of bravery to it. It's like, man, you just get attacked and you're already back out. Like, granted, you're with your friends, but still, I don't know. I mean, it shows kind of like who I am, but still. <laughs> <laughs> uh, briefly, we were introduced to Leaf Garrett, um, uh, Darren Dalton, and Diane Lane, and Michelle. Oh, I wrote it down because I knew it was going to forget. Mayfield, I think. Is it Mayfield? Michelle M M Michelle Mayrink. Mayrink. Who plays Marsha. Okay. Who was a contender for my Whip Bissell Award uh, for this movie because she does such a marvelous job playing opposite of uh, um, Emilio Estevez's two bit. Yes. But I, yes. I decided on somebody else. <laughs> but we see them fighting, you know, because um, Leif Garrett's getting drunk, you know, drinking. He wants her to drink too, and she doesn't want any part of it. So her and Marsha march off from where they've parked to go sit in the folding seats outside the concession stand to watch the movie which i didn't know that was a thing i mean the only i haven't been to a lot of drive-ins and certainly not back then but i, I only remember i don't cars. remember seeing concession seats outside of a drive-in before yeah i mean it makes sense yeah. but i don't ever remember seeing it you know like we grew up in the area era of the multiplex and you know also when we went to drive-ins you paid by car that's true too. Right. So, load, yeah. where they were being paid by who came in, I can understand. We're like, let's set up some seats, and that way, people who don't have a car can come and pay and see the movie, and we can yep. make even more money. That's true. So uh, they go and they end up sitting right in front of Pony Boy Dallas and Johnny, and this is where we see that Dallas has a. Special skill with the ladies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is the same skill with everybody else. Faster. <laughs> He's the bad boy, though. He's the bad boy. You know, he immediately starts harassing Diane Lane playing Sherry Valens. And, um, you know, even Pony Boy and Johnny are like, no, it's going too much and too far. And they're trying to tell Dallas to knock it off. And, there's well, a bit because of, because of who she hangs with, like she hangs with the socials, so like well, none of this is gonna work out. I also think Johnny and Pony Boy just have a better respect for people. Yes. Oh, they yeah. Well, because they know what Dallas can be like, and right. they're, they're somewhat protective too. Like they're, and I they're, think they're, like, they're of all of it. Almost yeah, the it, that, that, I think that's part of it too. Actually, yeah. yes. Uh, you know what? I, th I honestly think that's part of it too. That, that's the thing. They're so stuck in the middle of it. Of Dallas, they know who he is, and they, they can only do so much about him. You know. But yeah, it's like they don't necessarily want to show him up, but he is kind of being a dick, and they don't want to, you know. It's it's a whole, yeah. Like there's a there must be so much going through Pony Boy's mind at this. Well, point. and and here's the thing is like when when I watched this movie as a kid, and Dallas is up in her face and saying, "Is this your real red hair? Is this the same red that are on your eyebrows?" Right, right, right. 
I didn't get what he was going for. Yeah, back then. no, yeah, no. Now I want to smack him. Yeah, sure. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and you know, there's a bit where he puts his feet up on the chair and he falls over, and everybody gets a good <laughs> giggle. And I, I really wonder if that was planned. Because it seems like such a genuine reaction by everybody. Like, you know, maybe Matt Dillon was putting it. Because he was supposed to have his feet up on her chair so she could complain. Right. Because that happens next. I wonder if it was just a little flub where Matt Dillon legitimately fell over off his chair. Everybody giggled. And they decided, you know what, we're keeping that in the movie. Uh, If that's true, I'm glad they did. Because it's perfect. It's perfect for that character. Yeah. That's exactly who he is in in one you know, in one quick thing, he gets up completely nonplussed and goes yep. right back into it. But you know, everybody's reaction really seems like it was a genuine off. You know, it's so if it was planned, it's even more brilliant acting by the cast, right? Well, because you get the sense with Dallas um, that it's it's what he is is both somewhat of an act, but it's an act that he's carrying through regardless. Oh yeah, he can't. You know like it's not really him, but he can't stop being that either. Like Which he has to do. It. When he goes way too far in his yeah manhandling Cherry, and she's you know telling him to get off and hitting him, and Johnny stands up and says, "Dallas, that's enough. Leave her alone." You can see in his he he first he starts yelling at Johnny and like, "What did you say to me? What did you say?" And then he realizes what he's doing, yelling at his friend Johnny. And that's really why I think he gets up and leaves. He's so ashamed of himself. Not how he was treating Cherry, but how he just treated Johnny. Well, I think also in how his friends were seeing him. Like, this isn't cool. You know, they're not encouraging me. Right. <laughs> you know? Yes. No one yeah. was on his side. Everybody no was, one was on his side. I think it, yeah, right. Um, and yeah, so he gets up and basically disappears. You know, he leaves. Uh, Two-Bit shows up. Johnny and Tubit. And if he had a smaller part, he would be getting my Whippus Award because Emilio Estevez is just. He is excellent. getting my Whippus just because I love Emilio Estevez and I didn't know what else because he's usually starring. So this is the only time I could probably give him the Whippus Award. <laughs> <laughs> and his, his, uh, the chemistry between him and Michelle Merrick is, yeah. is really well. It's really good. It plays off well. So. And I wonder how much of that is really acting. The way she was so giddy the whole time. Yes, she right. was giggly and, you know, she was all just, you could tell oh, she was a little nervous, fantastic. but it was like that nervous laughter. And also you could tell she was attracted to them at the same time. And right. I wonder how much of that yeah, was acting, breeze. how much and, of that was like real for her. <laughs> I, I also love, I also love Diane Lane's, uh, Cherry's line that she gives to, I think it's C. Thomas Howell, right? Um shortly after Dallas leaves, basically as they're leaving, you know, separating or whatever. And she says something along the lines of tell, I forget exactly what she says, but it's something like, I hope I never see Dallas again or something like that. Because if I do, I'll probably fall in love with her. Yeah. Yeah. She likes the bad boys. Yeah. Which it kind of explains her relationship with Leif Garrett. Right. Right. So, you know, they go in and... uh, Cherry and Pony Boy are getting some snacks and they're talking. And you can see that, you know, while Cherry is not attracted to Johnny, I'm, I'm sorry, not attracted to Pony, right. she feels almost a kinship to him. Like, she oh, likes you know him, but I don't think she's attracted to him. They'd be friends. Yeah. In any other different circuits, they'd be friends hanging out, talking about books and, and whatever. She's, 
She's also presumably certainly seems to be somewhat older than him, too. Like, I bet if yes. he was th- two or three years older, it might be a different story. But, I mean, I think she kind of sees him as a kid. She's 16 and he's 14. Yeah, yeah, which doesn't sound like much, but it is between 16. Well, because both of them, Especially both Cherry and Masha say, you know, oh, we didn't think either of you were old enough to be in high school. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. That's what I'm saying. It still stuns me that Ralph Macho is 21 in this. Yeah. Jeez. Wow. Like, I have no problem believing Patrick Swayze is 30 in this, but damn, I, did, I had no idea that she was 21. So Cherry asked Johnny about, you know, Johnny. She asked Pony about Johnny, you know, the marks on his face and why he's so skittish. And he's like, oh, well, he got beat up recently by, you know, some socials. One of them had a bunch of rings. And immediately Cherry knows who did it and changes the subject. And they they head back outside and, you know, meet up with with, uh, uh, 2-Bit and... and the, the the others and they're they're talking. Uh, Tubit asks, well, you know, where is Dally? And that's when Tim Shepard pops in, saying, "Yeah, where is Dally?" Right. And everyone's like, "Uh, no, uh, he's gone. He was here, but he left. Anybody seen him? No." And again, this is why you also have to see this movie in widescreen because you know you've got six characters in this frame, yeah. right? You know, that, you know, when we first saw it on HBO, it was all making eyes at each other. And, you know, you you almost get like watching tennis with, you know, going back and forth. And, you know, again, you get this more into the the, who Dallas is, because Tim Shepard is like, I know Dallas is the one that slashed my tires. So tell him I'm looking for him. And, you know, you get two bits even saying like his is uh Dallas carrying a knife, and everybody's like, no, I don't think so. He's like, good, because Tim will fight fair as long as Dallas isn't carrying. So you get a little bit more into the culture of the Greasers, right? you know. Um, and and put a pin into Tim Shepard, because he's going to come up later when we discuss the, the Outsiders TV series. Okay. So they all, you know, obviously the, 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 the lot of them are getting on and, you know, they leave the, the drive-in together and uh, Marsha and, and 2-Bit are talking. Marsha gives 2-Bit her number. And that's when the prelude to trouble begins mm-hmm. because Leif Garrett, Darren Dalton and, and some others are come pulling up behind them, get out of the car and like, you know, what are you guys doing with these trash you know, trouble starts immediately, and you know, two bits like, well, who are you calling trash? And you, you two bit trash. And he says, and this is where my favorite line comes in. He's like, we got a couple more guys in the back seat if you want a problem. And two bit smashes the bottle, hands it to, to Pony, and brings out a switchblade and says, "Pity the back seat." <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of great lines. In this yeah. Cherry and Marsha, who don't want to see any trouble, any fighting, anything, agree to like, no, no, let's just, we're going to go, they're our boyfriends. We're just going to go with them. Everybody be cool. That's where Cherry gives her line. And boy, I hope I never see Dallas again. Yes, I do. I'll probably fall in love with him. And, uh, you know, Pony Boy's like, well, well, you you don't, because I'm not going to use this. I could never cut anybody. You know, this is, she's like, it doesn't matter. And, Another great line that would, you know, 
if I don't, if you see me in the hallways yes. and I don't say hi to you, please understand. Yes. Yes. I thought that was a great ad too. Yeah. yeah. And just so, like, you know how it is, you know, it's not personal, but it's just like, we can't have, like I have, I have school. Like I can't, I can't be constantly in a gang war, you know? Well, she can't be seen with them. They're greasers. Well, that's, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, she yeah. can't, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, underst- it's like, look, you know, I, I get it. But at the same time, like, look, come on. <laughs> yeah. So they go their separate ways and, you know, two bits walking them all home. And he said, you know, he throws away Marsha's numbers. Like, I can't believe I even asked for it. It was probably fake anyways. But again, I get the sense that, no, she gave him the real yeah. number. And- yeah, yes. she was- had a thing for him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, two bit heads home. And this is where we get an even worse insight into poor Johnny's life because. Yes. He doesn't walk into his house for more than two seconds and you hear the screaming and fight and he comes out, you know, running, you know, like I'm, uh, you know, I, I can't go in there. I can't, I can't stand this pony goes off with them. They're sitting in a vacant lot, just, you know, talking and that's where Johnny even breaks down further threatening, like considering suicide because right. his outlook, I mean, well, he can't, he can't go home. He's can't constantly home. under attack. Uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's bad. Again, a lot of it went over my head as a kid, as a kid, it's just like, all right, just, you know, teenagers doing teenager things. Uh, I'm not even sure if I even picked up on the home scene or even realized that was his house, you know, when I was so much younger, like so much, so much changes when you watch it again. So they hang out in the lot for a little bit, but they fall asleep and, uh, Johnny wakes up pony and you know, it's obviously later than they expected. And, Johnny says he's just going to stay in the lot and sleep there because so nobody's going to care anyways. And Pony it's cold. Says, yeah. Pony says, if you get cold, come to my house. Right. Because the, 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 the Curtis boys will take him in. Sure. Yeah. Johnny gets home. Pony gets home. I need a shock call. It just shocked me every time. I <laughs> Pony gets home and Daryl is, of course, livid because it's two o'clock in the morning. Yep. And it's like, where you been? I can't even call the cops because if I did, you know, they're going to put you and Soda in the boys' home. What's going on? Soda Pop's trying to just kind of ease the situation, kind of make peace, and says, all right, we'll just go to bed. And Daryl yells at, Pon- uh, at Soda Pop saying, I'm tired of you defending him. Pony yells, don't you yell at him. Daryl shoves Pony to the ground in anger. And immediately regrets it. And says, like, Pony, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. But Pony's already out the door running. He meets up with Johnny in the lot. And they decide they're going to run away. And Johnny's like, boy, calm down, calm down. Let's just, you know, smoke a cigarette. You'll calm down. And then you'll go home. And he goes, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes I, Johnny's saying he prefers it when his old Batman is beating him because at least he knows he's there. Right. Which is just such a gut-wrenching line to say. Yeah. that's so So, horrible so they wander into the park together and you know they're they're having a cigarette and they climb up on the monkey bars and that's when they first notice that the blue mustang has been following them full of a group of socias uh, Leaf Garrett and Darren Dalton among them and at least up until 2004 Francis Ford Coppola still owned that blue mustang Really? Oh, really? Yeah, that's cool. I would have too. That I mean, it's cool. nice car. 
So they come out, there's at least five of them, and they're making all sorts, you know, they're mocking the two of them. And I really feel if Ponyboy and uh, Johnny had just stayed up on top of those monkey bars, a lot of tragedy would have been avoided. Well, you know what, though? Those guys, they was you could tell that they were so much older than the other two. They're picking on these there's five of them and two of yeah. them and they're little guys. I give them a lot of credit for getting down off the monkey bars and standing up to them. I think yeah, they had to. I don't think I mean, I'm sure Darry would have understood. Uh, in fact, well they probably all would have understood, but I'm sure they also didn't want to hell to have to tell the story about how they ran away on their own turf from a bunch of socials if they didn't. Well, again, I'm not even saying run away, no, I'm just saying just stay, stay up. up there. Or even do, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, but, 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 so but they would have climbed. They wouldn't have been able to get him off the monkey bars. <laughs> I don't know, they might have Exactly. Well, I think they would have tried. They could have climbed up there, you just kick them in the face as they try to come up. Yeah. Oh. I don't know. I think it's ending more or less the same way either way. But yeah, they come down and they start trading insults and the oh. socials attack. 40 years later, I finally figured out what the heck uh, C. Thomas Howell says. Right. Oh, what? Because well, the, the, there's a guy who goes, you know, you know what a you know what a greaser is, right. white trash with long greasy hair, which is accurate, I yeah. suppose. And then, and then you have um, where he, where he goes, well, do you know what a soch is? And he says white. And I, for years, I could never figure out what he said because he just kind of almost mumbles it. And I guess it's mustangs and madras. And a madra is a type of like fancy clothing, I guess, which would have been like considered affluent, especially. Oh. It's like a fabric. That only like you know rich people wear, I guess. Well, things quickly get out of hand as they beat Johnny down, and then start basically drowning yes. Pony Boy in the fountain. Yep. Yes. Now, whether they intended to actually drown him or not is debatable, but it doesn't change the fact that they still could have actually killed him. Doing yes, what they were doing. because they were whether drunk, they were, and which is critical. No exactly, exactly. Which is why I entirely understand where Johnny's coming from yeah. here. Plus, he had just been beaten up by that guy. Exactly, he knew exactly. he, he didn't know where it was of. going. Yeah, he didn't know where it was going, and there's every reason to believe that uh, Pony gets accidentally drowned, whether they intended it or not, because they were certainly coming close to it. Yeah, because they're not only dunking his head underwater and holding it's it for like there. a while. Yeah. They're they're pouring whiskey or whatever was in his flask in his face yep. when he comes up for air. Yep. Yeah. So and it's really incredibly well shot and edited together because you see Johnny pulled the blade out of his pocket, switched the blade, approached the boys, cut to see Thomas Howell's head being held under the water. And then blood flows in, covering the screen. Right. Yeah, it's like almost like a, like a transition. Yeah, right. it's like and a... I remember as a kid, I had to close my eyes because just the thought of it bothered me. I get it. It's a lot of blood. I mean, you know, nowadays it's like, yeah, it would seem so cartoonish, and 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 you know, but yeah, I, I get it. So Pony Boy comes to, sees the dead body of uh, Leaf Garrett, who. Johnny must have cut pretty damn good. Either he got him right in the heart, or I think he got, I, I assume he got him in like the neck or something. But it, it's not really clear because you don't Can't see really it happen. Tell. Yeah. yeah, no, but you can see that there's a significant amount of blood coming out of um, people. Sure, do have a lot of blood in them. So they've killed themselves a soch, and the only person they think they can go to is Dallas. So they end up going to this um, 
this bar where they know Dallas kind of hangs out. You get a brief cameo by Tom Waits as Buck Merrill. Yep. And now, prob- you know, they- probably not the correct choice, but the entirely understandable one given their situation. Like, yeah, he would be the guy. He would certainly know how to go on the run. Well, yeah. Well, who yeah. are they going to go to? Gary, right. who would like have a meltdown. Well, right, but that... Johnny's parents, because they don't care. In hindsight, that would have technically been the right choice, right? It would have been. To Gary, but yeah. I, I entirely understand. Like, of all the people they chose, Dallas. It's like, yeah, that tracks. Actually, he would be the right choice. Especially so, since he's like good for you, which is a great yeah, life. Yeah, you. I was like, oh, okay. You know, they tell him he killed the coach, and they're like, oh, yeah, right, good for you. Good for you. <laughs> I think he really meant that. <laughs> I think he did too. He didn't even bat an eye. Nope. No. He's just like, cool. All right. Groovy. Yeah. He doesn't ask who. He doesn't ask no. how. He doesn't ask why. Oh, cool. All right. yep. So Dallas takes them upstairs to where he says he was just trying to get some sleep because he got in a fight with Tim Shepard earlier. So obviously they did make meet up. Yep. And they explain what happened. And, you know, Dallas first gives Johnny a loaded gun. Then he gives him fifty bucks, which is the equivalent of about five hundred. Yeah, bucks that was. Body. I was like, "Where did he get fifty bucks from?" And tells them the plan. You know, you guys get on this freight train that's going to be going through this town, and up on Jane, you get off here, and up on Jane Mountain, you're going to find this old abandoned church, which obviously Dallas has used as a hideout, right? Previously. He says, first thing in the morning, you go to a store, you get yourself a week's worth of food and supplies. You know, you get there, you do it before, you know, the news hits the papers and anybody's looking for you. And you hang out there. You don't even stick your noses out the, the doors, you know, until I figure I'll come get you once I think the heat is off. So that's what they do. We get, you know, a montage of the, the two of them making their way, you know, into the, you know, onto the train, sneaking on the train. Riding there. And and for years, this was the sequence that mostly played through my head as a kid. It's just like, man, that seems like fun. You know, not fully grasping the context of it. I was just like, man, that seems like fun. You know, going off on your own, getting eating bologna sandwiches. <laughs> Living in the church, nobody yeah. hassling yeah. <laughs> Deck of cards, yeah. reading Gone with the Wind. Yeah. I, I would have preferred a stack of cards. I was books. just going to say, Gone with the Wind wouldn't have been my choice either. <laughs> What's your what's your running away from the uh, police because your friend just murdered someone? Book choice. You know what though? It, when I was watching it today, even this was actually the part of the movie that I disliked the most. It was slow. It was boring to right. me. I was like, "All right, when are we going to pass this point?" You know, they're trying to catch a rabbit. The rabbit's running away, and they're just. And then when 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 Dally, when I mean when um yeah when Dally finally shows up. And he says, well, we've been eating bologna sandwiches for four days. I was like, it was only four days? It, it seems like we've been there a month. <laughs> it really does seem like that whole sequence goes a lot, goes on much longer than it does, yeah. I was like, like oh, my well, God. Well, because I think when they cut each other's hair, he only mentions that, like, they've only been there since, like, last night or something. <laughs> yeah. Like, wow. That's, like, I man, know. Seems like it went on a lot longer, yeah. I had the same impression. Yeah. I was like, four days, that's it. Here's a question. When Johnny went out to get the supplies, he got groceries, he got the book on with the wind so they could read to pass the time, a deck of cards so they could play cards, and the peroxide so they could dye Pony Boy's hair blonde. Why didn't he pick up a pair of scissors? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess. I was that like, where was than... there a store? That they out in the middle of nowhere? Like, well, he walked. There must have been, he walked there, there and back with all that stuff. There must have been something close by, I guess. Yeah, but <laughs> right, he had the wherewithal to get the peroxide, but not knowing they were going to have to deal with their hair, but not the scissors. Maybe they thought that was too obvious. It, even when they cut their long, shaggy hair. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> see, Thomas Howell, yeah, see, Thomas Howell ends up with the exact same length of hair. Although I do like his kind of, like, Dutch boy look going on. I was just going to say that. Like, and at first it looks ridiculous. And he says <laughs> it, exactly what he says when he sees himself in the mirror. But it's a, it's a good line. I wish I could remember it. But... Um, don't I look? Don't bad. I look? Yeah. Right, and, and but but the thing is, like as it goes on, it kind of works. It, it it works out. It, it it gets you know you get used to it. But it is it is striking at first. It's it's one of my favorite scenes that reveal. Yeah, and and it also made me think that if Johnny can cut hair that well with the switchblade. Right. Maybe he should go into, you know, a barber college or something. And and I, I don't remember when I finally tried it, but I remember thinking, like, oh, how bad could it be? Because, like, you see him wince, and I'm like, oh, how bad could it be to cut your hair with a knife? So I tried it once, and it sucks. It, it, you uh, did? Yeah, it sucks. I, did, I mean, I didn't do the whole thing. I was just like, how bad could it be? So I just grabbed a clump, because I was going to get my hair cut anyway. Well, so I just grabbed a clump and started hacking. I'm like, man, this sucks. Yeah, that does hurt. Never mind. You, and he's probably, his knife is probably rusty as hell, you know? Well, it was good enough to gut um, Bob Sheldon with. Well, a point is one thing. I mean, you need like an edge. <laughs> and I doubt he's sharpening it. But it that and the hair is greasy, yeah. so it's not going to, you know, be easy to hold on to and cut. And the thing, like, why does Pony Boy is not even the one who did the stabbing? How come, how come, how come Johnny doesn't dye his hair? Because he's too dark. I think he did. I think he said he couldn't because of his complexion. He couldn't get away with that. That's probably true, yeah. Yeah, because he was dark. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It would have been much more, yeah, it would have been much more obvious that right. his hair was a fake color than Pony Boy's. Right. Uh, this is also the classic scene where they're both watching um, a sunrise. Yep. And uh, Pony Boy quotes Robert Frost's poem about how nothing gold can stay. And, um, you know, if you've been listening for at least all of season three of this podcast, you know, I close out the podcast every time with. Stay gold, people. Obviously, from this movie. Mm-hmm. Now you know. After, like you said, the four days pass. Dallas comes to get them. His first, re- you know, his hey, blondie. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, he gives uh, he gives a, a note to Pony Boy from Soda Pop. You know, like a, he, he, I told him I didn't know what you are, where you were, but he didn't believe me, so he gave you this. And, he kind of gives the the boys a lowdown of what's been ha- happening and how he'd been, you know, the police were questioning him, but he wouldn't give them up. And Pony Boy reads the note, which was very hopefully signed, Soda Pop Curtis, <laughs> just in case, yep. just in case it was unclear which Soda Pop it was. Sent the note. Because I don't know if it's a common name. I suppose it's not, but we will find out that Soda Pop is his actual given on the birth certificate name. That's right. Yep, Which, Soda Pop and Pony, and Pony Boy. Boy. I was going to yeah. say Pony Boy as well must be the actual name. Yeah, I have to assume. Like it could be because you know maybe maybe he didn't want to get him confused with the Soda Pop Jones or you know because it's it's at the beginning of the movie where Cherry Valens is like you know that's his real name he even says so on his birth certificate and like well that's an original name and Pony Boy says well my dad was an original person it would seem so yeah 
I have to imagine at some point because the oldest boy it's is Darryl. named Daryl. Daryl, how did yeah. that happen? You get Daryl and then Soda Pop and Pony Boy. Here's my theory: <laughs> the father wanted to name Daryl something, maybe a little a race weird, car or you know? something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, maybe like let's name him Antonio, and the mother was like, "No, we're going to name him Daryl after my father. We'll name him Daryl and." Whatever other children we have, you can name them whatever you want. <laughs> and the father's like, deal. Right. <laughs> gotcha. So uh, they, they end up going, you know, Dallas is like, look, I'm starved. Are you guys hungry? It's like, yeah, we've been eating bologna for four days. <laughs> so, so Dallas takes them up to a Dairy Queen to get some sandwiches and sodas. And, you know, they're eating and. Uh, Dallas is explaining, like, you know, oh, and, you know, remember that uh, redhead girl, you know, that that one that that really hates me? Well, she came driving up and saying that she would testify on your guys' behalf that, you know, Bob was drunk and looking for a fight and that you guys acted in self-defense and, you know, everything will be fine. And, you know, of course, he's also talking about how cute she is. (laughs) Boy, she really hates me. Or do you think maybe she likes me? And, of course, Pony Boy's all like, upset about it along comes a little girl as dallas is flashing a gun a little girl played by Duck. sophia coppola yeah asking for a dime and 10 cents and they're like when you get out of here they chase her away she's really good in that scene too um uh, johnny says well look you know if that's the case she'll testify on behalf let's go back and we'll turn up. i'll turn myself in I'll tell him Pony had nothing to do with it because it's not fair for Daryl and Soda Pop to be worrying about Pony. Right. My parents aren't going to care. Way, yeah. Let's just, just go. We'll end this and I'll turn myself in and we'll hope. And, and Dallas is, of course, against it because he's obviously anti-authority. And, you know, it's like, you, you, you know, my old man doesn't give a hang whether I'm alive or dead. You think that bothers me? No. And he's, he's trying to argue against it. Right. But, you know, he's he's insistent. And again, he realizes he's losing his temper with Johnny. And they drive away, heading back to the church where they were he- heading out. But before we leave there, I got to tell you a story about how the situation of filming at this Dairy Queen wrapped. OK. <laughs> After Sophia had left and, you know, there she was going home. She saw this little abandoned puppy running around the parking lot and she wanted to take it home. And she's begging her dad. You know, can we take the puppy home? Can we take the puppy? He's like, no, it's a stray. We can't. You're not having a dog. You're not taking the puppy home. And he sent her away. And, you know, they finished whatever filming he had to do there. And they're loading up and leaving. And he turns and he looks and he sees the little puppy. Long story short, he ends up being named Joe Jimbo. <laughs> and they own that dog for 15 years. Wow. He was a puppy. very, very... Uh, apparently a very dumb dog, but a very fun, <laughs> friendly dog that they enjoyed for 15 years. Uh, named Joe Jimbo after the Akira Kurosawa film. It, yeah. Also, Coppola uh, credits him using the widescreen format that he does as because he enjoyed how Akira Kurosawa did it and fit so many characters on screen at the same time. Oh, okay. Right. So as they're headed back to the church, they kind of notice that the church is a little different than how they left. It's a little more orange than they were expecting. Yeah. And 
there's a group of children and I guess teachers. They were probably there on maybe a field trip or a nature walk. You don't go on the you didn't go on abandoned church field trips. They bust them to this abandoned church. Yeah, you know, know, it's your annual abandoned church field trip, kids. Let's go. The rustier, the better. The, 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 the rustier and broken boarded, the better. It's, I mean, it always, I got, I don't care. It's a great scene. It's not like it ruins a movie or anything. It's just, I've always wondered, like, why are you there? Exactly. Why would they stop? Why there? are you there? It was probably a popular picnic spot for people to go to. GPS put them there, maybe. I don't know. So the church is burning, and they're first like, well, let's just get out of here. But then they overhear. And this is where my Whip Pistol Award winner comes in. Um, Gaylord Sartain, who plays Jerry, um, whether he's the teacher or the principal, it's unclear. But at first, like one of the, the, the women's like, some of the children are missing. No, they're not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm no we're cool. Some of them no, we're good. We're good. We're good. We're good. We're good. We're good. Yeah. Listen, that fire is so listen woman, do you know how to count? You can't prove nothing. Yeah. Johnny uh, Pony Boy immediately runs to try to find the children. Uh, Dallas is trying to convince him, no, would you, we need to get out of here. Johnny runs after Pony Boy, pulling away from Dallas, who's even like, Are you going to get him? Yeah, are you going to get what? him? I love that. Are you going to go get him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They rush into the burning church. Save the ungrateful tykes, one of them who bites Pony yeah. Boy as he's trying to rescue them from the burning flames. Um, and, and you know, uh, Dallas comes to kind of their rescue, busting out another window so they can get the children out. Pony Boy is overcome by smoke as Daryl pulls him from the building and Johnny... Thankfully, they don't show too much. You yeah. just hear his blood curdling scream yeah. as the church is collapsing in on him, and and Dallas runs to his rescue. There's a quick cut of of Jerry rushing, obviously, finally deciding, "Well, I got to do something." And it cuts to Pony Boy waking up in an ambulance and Jerry's there with them, like very impressed. Like, what are you boys, professional heroes or something? I've never seen anything like that. And Pony Boy's like, no, we're greasers. And he's like, what? Are you kidding? No, as soon as we get to town, you're going to find out real quick who we are. are, Cut to them in the hospital. And obviously they've already gone through the emergency room or triage and they've released uh, pony boy with um, no real injuries because it, it's it, you, you know they've been there for a while because then Johnny comes through looking absolutely awful and then Dallas comes yeah. through yeah you ever try a stunt like that again I'll kill you myself <laughs> yeah I mean poor Johnny for the rest of this movie like I still feel it somehow like it's just it's him all like laying upside down in that thing it, it, with all those scars. It's so why did, still just brutal. Why did Daddy need to stay in the hospital? He didn't seem like anything was wrong with him. I'm, I'm assuming smoke Yeah, I'm assuming it was just like procedure. And he did have a bandaged arm, so that must have been burnt up. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, Pony Boy looks worse for wear than Dallas does. He does. Sure. He's so black with soot. Right. 
And that's, you know, Black would sit and then he lights up a cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Jerry, who's smoking a cigarette himself, right. is even like, um, you know, you shouldn't be smoking. Yeah. Like, You're smoking. You. Yeah. I'm an adult. <laughs> He's basically trying to so, say, look, it's too late for me. You're young. Don't, yeah. don't start. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I should point out that um, uh, Gaylord uh, Sartain was uh, regular on the TV show Hee Haw, was in three of the Ernest films, Ernest Goes to Jail, <laughs> Ernest Says Christmas. I him from. I knew he seemed familiar. And he was also in Mississippi Burning. He usually played like Southern gentleman type. Oh, I bet I know who he was in Mississippi Burning. Go for it. Uh, I, I can't remember the character's name, but I'm just—I I can picture him in my head. I think I know who he was. But... Well, he was the—he was the sheriff. Okay, then yeah, all right. So, uh, Daryl and Soda Pop show up, and we do get a joyous reunion. And you know, Daryl's in tears, saying, "You know, he thought he lost them, like you know, lost like they lost mom and dad." They all go home. And um, obviously, too, like they weren't this hospital is a bus ride from where they live. Right. Right. So they couldn't have been either. They didn't go too far from home or the nearest hospital, maybe. Maybe that could, you know, even like even if there was a medical center in that town, they probably couldn't deal with Johnny's injuries. And I was so, thinking, yeah. this kid is a, his kid has been in the hospital. He's underage. No, there was no police around. No, nothing. They just came and went like nothing happened. Like... Well, again, I assume a certain amount of time has passed. <laughs> at least, yeah. At least again for for um, you know them to have you know released uh, Pony Boy and admitted the other two. And I'm sure Jerry was also speaking well on their behalf That's to the police, too. helping smooth things over, saying, like, no, these kids risked their own lives to save children from a burning church. Right. And that's how that poor boy in there ended up how he is. So they get back home and um, Daryl's obviously, you know, still worried about Pony Boy. Pony Boy seems like he's coming down with the cold and. You know, he's saying, like, maybe I should take some time off work, stay home with you. It's like, no, no, I'll be fine. And 2-Bit, again, showing that he's kind of an older brother as well, saying, nah, I'll stay with him. Um, you know, we also, you know, he wears the Mickey Mouse shirt. We know he's a Mickey fan because even uh, Sody Pop say, hey, Mickey's on TV. And he stops what he's doing <laughs> yep. to sit down to watch. I love that. Yeah. That's, that's one of my favorite scenes, yeah. Just with a ginormous beer and a whole cake. Yep. Yep. And an it's, yeah, I love that every time. Like I am, I am him. There are many days where I am exactly that. <laughs> and, and Pony Boy's trying to clean up the house because he knows the social worker is going to be coming by. And Two Bits like this place ain't dirty. You should see my house. He's like, I have seen your house, and if you had any sense, you'd clean it up. And Two Bits like, if I did that, my mom would die of a heart attack. <laughs> So, uh, you know, the, the cuts a little bit later in the day and 2-Bit and, and John, uh, Pony Boy go to visit uh, Johnny and Dallas in the hospital. And this is where it's clear that this is just not going to be 
and Johnny is probably not long for this because they want to go in and see him and the nurse is saying no, but a doctor comes out and says, let him see him. Right. It's not going to hurt. Yeah, right. And he right. even That's pats, not, yeah. He, he pats too bit on the shoulder like, say goodbye to your friend. Yeah. Right. So they're in there visiting with them, trying to cheer him up, trying to convince not only Johnny, but maybe even themselves that he's not going to die. Right. Uh, Two-Bit goes to the gift shop to get him another copy of Gone with the Wind. And, um, you know, Johnny is like saying, like, you know, I, I talked to all this talk about wanting to kill myself, but I don't want to die. You know, I'm 16. 16 years old isn't enough. And, you know, it kind of brings everybody to tears. And, right. Well, he's... They announce that his mother wants to come in and see him, and he don't want to see her. Right. He loves us. I mean, he loves his friends um, and stuff. But like now, he can finally see like people can recognize something else in him, other than you know, because the only other people he knows are his parents, and they're awful. Right. And, like he's finally starting to see some like light in the world, and now this, it's brutal. It's and plus you look at him and the makeup, um, you know, the, the the makeup that they do for all the all the scars and the burns is still right. so right. gruesome. And I got to see it in glorious, you know, Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's just yeah I mean, it still gets to me i can still like i'm still like you know rubbing my arms and stuff and then and, and scratching when it's it's just it's awful it's awful to even try to think of what he's going through there he, he passes out from the pain yeah. yeah and as they leave they get accosted by his mother being like she doesn't want to see me but i'll see you you know Right. You, you you trash and you know two bit yells right back at her almost in tears himself like you never cared about him right. that's the reason he's in the position he's in right now right. they go to see Dallas who is harassing his nurse the nurse who can't wait for him to leave <laughs> who is played by Essie Hinton Essie Hinton yep. right. the <laughs> author herself which just shows you again how young she must have been yeah. when she wrote the novel yeah that's yeah. I think I read that she wrote she wrote uh, most of it, I guess, when she was about 15. I think it was published when she was like 18 or so. Yeah. He asks how Johnny is, obviously very concerned, and they explain to him, you know, I don't know about these things, but it don't look good. Right. Right. And then he asks for a knife, and it's not clear, like... Does he cut himself with the knife? Does he carve something into I know, the table? I know. Like, what do you need a knife for? <laughs> yeah, I think he's carving. I think he's carving like into a nightstand or something. Dallas was here, maybe. I, maybe he for Johnny. Maybe how many socias he's going to like annihilate in the upcoming Rumble? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, because they're going to win that fight, and they're going to win it for Johnny. For Johnny. We're going to do it for Johnny. So Two Bit and Pony Boy head home from the hospital. Um, they, they run into Cherry Valens along the way, and she asks how Johnny is, and he says, well, maybe you should go visit him. And she's like, you know, I can't. You know, he he killed Bob. Right. Maybe Bob was asking for it. Oh, I know he was, but you didn't see the other side of him, and he could be sweet, and, you know, he had this ability to, you know, charisma about him. And it, it, almost like you kind of wonder, like, is, is there a, Battered woman syndrome. Right, there. it's like she's de- she's defending him. Well, you could because he was you could obviously a violent drunk, which he was often enough. Well, you could say the same thing about Dallas, though, who is was that, probably a better guy, but we know is at least for sure a felon. 
and was yeah. in jail. But, but for doing, we don't the, know what, but probably not good. The the other thing is she had no trouble standing up for, for herself against Dallas or really against Bob. Because when right. she didn't like Bob's behavior, she did leave. Right. Yeah. She did get up and say, I'm not doing this. I came here to see a movie. I'm going to see a movie. Right. So there may be, there probably is. I mean, and it, we didn't get to see it. Right. But obviously there was something about Bob Sheldon that was a good guy that made people like him. And, you know, unfortunately he had his demons that came out when he drank. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, again, I mean, it, you know, there was there was obviously some sort of strife in between them for whatever reason for probably going back you know, quite quite some time, right? Like maybe even their parents, um, to some extent, or extended family. Like part of it is just, I mean, who do even know? I mean, in Bob's defense, right? He he ends up in the same social dynamic where he has to prove how tough and how badass and possibly even sociopathic well, he is. And I, I imagine that might drive you to drink if it's not necessarily you, as she implies. That's the point that Cherry Valens and in an earlier scene we skipped over where. Uh, Darren Dalton has a talk with Pony Boy. They talk about how this is all meaningless. Mm-hmm. Nothing changes. It doesn't right. matter how the fight with the Rumble goes. Right. If you beat us socias, we're still going to be the rich kids who have it all, right. which he says very sarcastically, like, yeah, we're rich. We're, we, we, we have our cars and our nice clothes, but we got our problems too. Right. We've got our demons. And, and you know, Cherry Valens kind of brings up the same way. You know, you'd think we have it all. You know, yeah, we're in a better economic sense, that, you know, but we got more stuff, but our adults aren't necessarily better. Is right. Our, our problems are just as, as, as real. So Pony goes home and they're all preparing for the rumble that they're going to have that night all because, you know, the sausage want revenge for what happened to to Bob. And they've agreed that it's going to be a uh, no weapons, you know, fist fight. And Daryl's like, you know, Pony, you're not looking so well. Maybe you should skip this rumble. And Pony was like, I've always gone before. And like, he's 14. Right. How many rumbles right? have you been in? Right. I did that too. Like, I did that same math too. <laughs> like, like, like Daryl, you almost expect Daryl to say, well, that was when you were 11 and in your prime. You're 14 now. Right. I don't know. You've lost a step. You know, yeah, your left, your left is a little slow. Yeah. And, 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 Pony's like, well, if it was knives or chains or something, it'd be different. But it's hand to hand. I'll I'll grab hold of a little one, and and you know we'll go. And Daryl's like, yeah, all right, but you you stick close. You you stick by me. And they go off to the rumble, and again, Charlie Sheen's. You know, everybody's at a ten. Charlie Sheen's at a fifteen. <laughs> you know, ain't nobody gonna call the cops in this neighborhood. Because, you know, Daryl's they saying the cops show up, you and Pony and Soda Pop, you take off. We'll go to jail, but you'll go to the boys' home. Right, right. Uh, this is also, you know, so they get there and, you know, we, we see Tim Shepard again. And even Tim Shepard's like, you were with Johnny when he killed that Soch. Curly always said you were a good kid. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, you know, hanging by the bonfire, waiting for the show system to roll, show up. And this is where, you know, you also learn rumbles don't get called on account of weather. Nope. No. Thunderstorm hits. You're still rumbling. That's you right. know, you can't just. 
you know, that field is probably booked for other things. <laughs> you know, if we don't do the rumble tonight, we can't schedule it again. You know, and you would think you know, tension in the city that the police would be somewhere at some point ever. <laughs> well, I mean, this is happening on the north side, right? On the greasers turf. So maybe they don't care. Is, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they just didn't care. So the rumble goes and it is one of the best mass fight scenes I think ever committed to film because yeah I wonder how many people actually got hurt right yeah. they are just like you know they're going ham like, on each like, other yeah like the scene at the end of the warriors in that that bathroom where the punks and the warriors go at it they are knocking the crap out of each other, throwing each other, flipping each other, punching each other in the face, kicking, smacking their heads into the ground. Yep. You know, it's pouring rain. They're sliding around in the mud. Nicholas Cage is there. <laughs> somewhere. He's in there somewhere. Supposedly Cam Neely of the... The, the, the Boston Bruins, formerly... which blows my mind. If that's Yeah, I never... Yeah, that's the first I've heard of that. I've I've heard that Nick and Cage is supposedly one of the socials, I think, in this rumble somewhere. I've also heard that Flea of the Red Hot Chili Peppers appears in there somewhere too. Oh, right on. But you know, I we looked, we couldn't spot either one of them. We spotted somebody who might have been Nick Cage, but yeah. we couldn't tell that either. So the the Greasers win the rumble. Uh, you know. Dallas obviously signed himself out of the hospital against doctor's advice. Just he'll and stop at nothing. He shows up at the rumble because you know you can't have a rumble without him. Pony Boy doesn't do so well. In fact, he's the first person to get hit. You know, like before even anything starts, he gets punched right in the face. Like, whoa, sucker punch against the little kid. I know, Who did right? That? right. You know, at least the, the leader of the socials had the, you know. He called him out, yeah. Called him out and says, you know, all right, you and you and me, Dallas, Gary, you know, we'll, 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 we'll go one-on-one. So as the Greasers are basically celebrating, you know, their victory, Dallas takes Pony Boy to the hospital to go see Johnny to tell him that they won and. You know, as he's speeding there, a cop pulls him over and Dallas, you know, kind of outwits the cops like, oh, look at him, you know, pretend you're second. I don't think Johnny had the pony. pony. I don't think Pony Boy <laughs> had to do much pretending. Well, no. Yeah. It's like they even go like, oh, he fell off. It. Just say he got attacked. <laughs> he did. Yeah. Yeah, that's true, too. Sadly, they only get to the hospital in time to watch Johnny die. Yeah. Almost as if winning the fight didn't really mean anything in the end. Which Johnny says as he's dying. Right. You know, it doesn't mean anything. You know, violence, anything. And his dying words are to tell Pony Boy to stay gold. And I laugh, but it is gut wrenching. It is it is gut wrenching. Yeah, it's Dallas has a meltdown and storms out of the hospital, and and uh, Pony Boy heads home. And uh, as a doctor or an ambulance driver is yelling at Dallas like oh you're not supposed to be here Dallas pulls a gun on him and just you know it's empty but he scares the guy enough and he's like why are you even bother helping people this is what you get for helping people it doesn't do any good pony boy gets home and you know everybody's like you know Darry's his wounded hands like that guy had sharp teeth and <laughs> 
Tom Cruise is like, my nose. Does it make me look tough? Do I look tough now? You know, and, and Pony Boy comes in and they immediately like, what's, what's wrong? Where, where you been? And he tells the rest of them that Johnny has passed, which of course kills any sense of victory they just had. Right. Cut to Dallas at a drugstore. He's at the magazine rack. This is the and... most important scene for you, Matt, right? Because at the magazine rack, <laughs> if you look at the lower right-hand portion of the screen... We figured it out. You will see Detective Comics number 521, yep. cover dated December 1982, on sale September 1982. You will see Chowton Comics Fighting Marines number 166, also covered dated December 1982, also on sale September 1982. And I only know it's Captain Carrot and his amazing zoo crew because I recognize the logo. And it had an orange background. And sure enough, the December 1982 issue of Captain Carrot and his amazing zoo crew also had an orange background cover. So that was Captain Carrot and his amazing zoo crew, number 10, comics that appear in movies, there you go. And that's it for us. Thank you, everyone. Kristen, it was nice having you on. Matt, another great well, episode well, as always. What? We should point out that while at least Detective Comics oh. and quite possibly Fighting Marines were actual comics on sale in 1966, Captain Carrot and his amazing Zucru was not. This movie is ruined. Which does undermine the movie, yeah. It's, it's over. Yeah. It's over. <laughs> Whatever gravitas it has, it just, you know, meteorically lost. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know what they, they probably just filmed at the newsstand, not thinking for one second. You think 40 years from now, some nerd <laughs> with nothing better to do is going to point out right. the comics around that? Don't be an idiot. <laughs> right. Nobody's going to do that. Writes an angry letter to Francis Ford Coppola. <laughs> just, just film the comic rack with Dal- the 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 magazine rack with Dallas standing there. <laughs> and while he's standing you're there, flipping through the magazine, the somewhat annoyed store clerk, who I think actually handles it very well, yeah. for yeah. the most part, is like, "Look, young man, do you want to buy one of those?" Well, because he's kind of messing with the magazines too, like he's ruining the merchandise. Yeah. Well, then manhand, manhand, yeah. When he starts ripping up a magazine, he's like, you don't want to do that. If you do that, you're going to have to pay for that, you know, young man. Please don't do that. Dallas walks up to the counter, pulls his gun, and robs the the store. And as he's leaving, the clerk pulls the gun and fires some shots after him. The police are obviously now chasing after Dallas. Dallas makes it to a phone, uh, a a public phone, calls Daryl. And says, um, you know, the, the police are asking me, you got to hide me, meet me in the park. They agree. And the police catch up with Dallas first. And Dallas, there's no other way to say it. Dallas set plays suicide by car. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. He, exactly he pulls his gun. He's waving it all around. And he yells, you're never going to take me alive. Yeah. The cops shoot him down, and as much as I hate to say it, I got to go with the police officer. Right. What choice did they have? They see a gun pointed at him. Yeah. The guy's yelling, you're not going to take me alive. 
the gang has shown up at just a little bit too late, and they're trying to yell that the gun's not loaded and that he's just a kid, but the cops aren't going to hear any of that. Right. right. Dallas is gunned down in front of him, and Pony Boy passes out. And originally, that's where kind of the movie ended. Right. Yeah. It would then cut to Pony Boy in, you know, from writing his essay. You know, when I walked out from the darkness of the, the, and, into the bright light from the darkness. I assumed he was in like, juvie, like you said before. Like yeah. I assumed he was in. Yeah, I, I assumed yeah. he had been arrested, and yeah. Thankfully, this complete novel cut goes into all the elaborate. You know, there was the court. He was cleared of any wrongdoing, yep. and the courts place him in the custody of Daryl. Yep. So that they're all staying together. There's even a little bit more where, you know, it shows, uh, you know, Pony Boy at school. And yeah, unfortunately, Cherry is kind of ignoring him as is somewhat expected. And one of his teachers is saying, like, you're not doing very well. But if you write a good report, I'll guarantee I'll pass you with the C. And he's like, oh, you want me to do a research paper? He's like, no. Do some life experience. Do write well, write life experience. I think that'll be good. And Pony Boy was like, "Oh, great! What am I going to do? My summer vacation?" Pony, I think you got some good material. Say, right? Good <laughs> Come on, man. That happened in your life recently? Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Maybe just the last couple of weeks of your life yeah. would make a really good paper. Right. And so that's basically how the movie ends. It looks like things are going to go well. Now, you know, maybe Daryl's even learned. Well, actually, no, because we do have a brief, again, another brief conflict at home. Yes. Where this time, Soda Pop is the one who goes running off. Yeah. Pony Boy and Daryl are both like, well, what's his problem? They go running after him. And Soda Pop gets to finally exercise his grief and saying, you know, as much as I hate it when you fight, when you guys start looking at me to pick sides, it's even worse for me. You know, I mean, it's bad enough I'm in the middle of all this. You know, please don't ask me to pick sides because you're both my brothers. I, I can't do that. So that looks like that will at least have a good, um, you know, conclusion at the very least. Right. You know, making them all realize, like, they're all going through stuff. Right. And they're all, yeah, they they're are, all there. And, and they're all having trouble dealing with it. And they're, they're brothers. They're all the family they got. So the movie does end up, you know, on a rather uh, positive note. This is, it's just such a classic film. I kind of made the comparison, and I think one of the reasons this movie holds up, and again, I don't know if the current younger generation is, is easier to identify, but it's easier, you know, to identify with the characters in The Outsiders than it's going to be for Huck to identify with characters in like Huck Fan and Tom Sawyer. Right. Yeah, I'd say that's fair. Even you know, yeah. much more acknowledgement of modern problems and and what can go on in, and family in dynamics and all that. Yeah, yeah. And that running away from home isn't necessarily fun and adventure, right? You know, it's misery and strife and yeah. And, uh, it's such a good movie. No, like I said, it's one of the. Um... You know, through through you know through most of my film collection, it tends to bend towards you know action or or fun you know fluff spy movies things like that. But um, 
even even at a relatively young age where this probably wouldn't have normally grasped me this is one of the few that that always stuck with me one and of the few you, i could always go back to I, i'm in complete agreement because when this movie was first out which you know makes me think it was even prior to um return of the jedi mm-hmm. if it wasn't spaceships and ray guns or at least cowboys and shootouts right i wasn't interested but no this that's movie, exactly what i'm saying yeah, yeah. This movie grabbed hold of me, and I loved it. Yep. Um, and you know, again, we're preaching to the choir. I'm sure here because, you know, anybody listening to this podcast has probably seen it and, and and loves it and adores it as much as we do. Right. But there's some great stuff here, and it was definitely worth talking about. And I, I definitely wanted Kristen on here to talk about it with us. Well, yeah, you know, and I and I think it's aged well too. You know, it's still, um, it's still almost relevant. You yeah, know, when you yeah. watch it, as far as like yeah. with the family dynamics and the stuff going on, like when I told my daughter that I was coming on, she was like, "That I she says I remember that was the first book that I really loved." Oh, really? Yeah, uh, it was the first book that she really loved, and I and I remember when she liked the book. I remember sitting down and watching the movie with her. Yeah, like, I mean, the imagery has changed, obviously, but the themes are timeless. I yeah. mean, the themes work work fine no, no matter what year it is, probably yeah. even to the dawn of history, you know, to some extent, ever since a class system, right? Yeah. Well, and, and again, that was a big part of Coppola's releasing this complete novel cut because he knew new people were continually finding the book and would then want to see the movie. And he felt embarrassed that, the movie didn't. He felt the movie didn't fully represent the book the way yeah. it should. Yeah, no. the The new cut, um, the new cut, absolutely improves or completes, I should say, what was already a great movie. But this, this is definitely a better like, completion. It doesn't add a ton of length to it, too. It's not like they no. added all this extra, and now it's, it's like five hours. It's still under two hours, and it's it's all <laughs> necessary too. Like because yeah. like one of the thing that's 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 that you'll see in in the court the relatively short court montage like they, they don't drag any of that out they don't drag out the court nope. scene it's a pretty quick montage but you see you see sherry standing up like she said she would which couldn't have been easy for her yep. i mean yeah she's you know she's obviously not talking to see thomas howell later in school but you you that also is you know hits on a different level too because we don't know exactly what repercussions she's going to have amongst her group for standing right. up like that I mean, she's yeah. doing the right thing, obviously, and everybody agrees with that. But at the same time, like, she's still friends with these people. Well, it looks like Randy was too, though. It looks like Randy yeah, was right. there, you know, and he wasn't trashing them either. Right, right. Like, that's, you know, that's, that's, that, that, that is something that, um, you know, you wonder, yeah, what, re- what repercussions will have for them later. And I'm sure her friend Masha is going up to, was two bit there? Right. Yeah. Two-bit? Did two, did, oh, did he, did he say anything? Did yeah. he say anything? He has to the Does he need my number? Again? I gave him, yeah. I gave him my number. Does he still have it? Me- meanwhile, he's four beers and like six slices of chocolate deep into uh, <laughs> Snow White or something. Yeah, Fantasia. I just got a mini mouse skirt. Maybe he wants to. Right. Yeah, this is. And again, it, it's, you know, you watch it as an adult, you, you know, you get more emotional about it. You know, like when you see those kids in danger, it's kind of, you know, it hits you more. It impacts you more. Right. Um, anybody else got anything else to say before we get into the Outsiders TV series? Mm, I don't think so. No, I mean, I completely forgot that series existed. I did and, too. Um... I don't think I ever watched it. 
Yeah, well remembered, well, Matt, to even find it. But I guess you watched the whole you, thing. If you if you view certain tubes, got you. You can find it. I get you. Okay. Right. Um, it takes the 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 pilot episode begins with, and it's footage from the movie of Dallas being gunned. Really? Okay, so it's Matt yes. Dillon, and all right. Yes. And then it cuts to the next day, and the outsiders are, are or at least some, somewhere uh, immediately after, because the outsiders are at Dallas's funeral. Oh, okay. Of the cast, David Arquette is probably the most recognizable. He takes over as Two Bit from uh, Emilio Estevez, and he does a fantastic job. Uh, the kid who plays Ponyboy does very well. And they reintroduce the character of Tim Shepard. He's played by, I've forgotten his name, but I'd probably have to say anyways. In Weird Science, there's the two bullies. One is played by Robert Downey Jr. And the other is played by this guy. Yeah, I can't remember <laughs> his name either. He comes in as Tim Shepard. And he's basically introduced into the crew to try to be the replacement for Dallas. Okay. You know, he's going to be the hard-edged one that, you know, is is, is kind of egging everybody on and, and is the bad boy. And then they introduce a, a new, younger female character who's probably about 12 or 13. And she's kind of the replacement Johnny Cade. Okay. Because... Uh, Pony Boy first meets her. She's sleeping outside in the lot, crying. And he, Pony Boy's like, well, "What are you doing out here?" She's like, "I can't go home. My parents are fighting. My parents are always fighting. I'll be fine out here. This is my first time sleeping out here." Got it. And she won't give Pony Boy her name, so he names her Scout. And she's like, "Why is that?" He's like, "Well, because you remind me of this girl from the novel To Kill a Mockingbird. Have you ever read it?" She's like, "No, but now I want to." So she's obviously going to be the new Johnny Cade character. And the, the show was extremely short-lived. Uh, it, it came out in 1990 on Fox when Fox was still trying to find its identity, trying to, you know, it, it, it had, you know, success so far with um, Married with Children and 21 Jump Street was a fairly successful show, but it hadn't quite hit its peak yet with you know the simpsons the simpsons wasn't quite the simpsons yet yeah 90210 would bring in a lot of ratings oh yeah i i think i think if 90210 if this had come out around after 90210 when when the teenage audience was now drawn to fox i think the show would have done much better maybe but it's it's also seven years after the movie right so a lot of the movie fans were older now and maybe they were going out and watching TV and the kids watching TV weren't familiar with the movie. Right. But, you know, from watching the pilot, which I guess was even uh, sent to, uh, done as a released as a movie in foreign markets, because I've seen it called The Outsiders 2 oh. with with German writing on it, like Der Outsiders 2. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, if if you are ever on that uh, tube thing, give it a look. It's not. It's obviously very low quality. Somebody probably taped it off of you know on VHS, you know, thirty four years ago, and you know <laughs> uploaded it on there. But 
I, I would say it's worth checking out. I'm I'm looking at David Arquette as two bit, and yeah, that is very good casting. He's a good which, actor too, so it's a good choice. But yeah, he, he even looks the part. Yeah, that's a good look. What's interesting is they used a lot of the scenes that were cut from the original. Like they show Pony Boy being chased home from the movie oh. theater. You know that wasn't we wouldn't have seen that in 1990. That would have been a completely new concept. Right. So they actually used a lot of the stuff that was cut. To help expand the story. Got it. Yeah. Obviously re- reshot it with the TV characters. Yeah, yeah. And, and it goes more into like Daryl trying to get a contracting job with the new housing development going up so he can put on the roofs and, you know, make more money to help support the family and keep everybody together. There was a story about Soda Pop possibly getting his girlfriend pregnant. Uh, they, they really looked like they had a, a lot that they could have done to turn it into a, a, a teen soap opera with with a good cast and some good story ideas yeah yeah um, a, I, I, I could see yeah i could, I could see they i think you're right I, um maybe it was a little bit before it's time yeah uh, another tv short-lived tv show that's only related because patrick swayze starred in it uh, about a year after the movie came out was a show called renegades which I've never seen, but was described to me as if the Warriors worked as an undercover unit for the police. Hmm. <laughs> and Patrick Swayze was the leader of the Renegades, the street gang that, you know, were like police informants or whatever. Like they're there. Uh, Kurtwood Smith was the police detective that was obviously in charge of them. Okay. So, yeah, I think it's interesting. Worth checking out. Uh, anybody else? Anybody got anything else? Nope. Nope. All right. Uh, who brought recommendations? Um, go ahead. I have a few. I'm just going to pull them up. Because I know you do. I couldn't think right, of anything well. as far as... I could think of things as far as maybe the, the, the actors go, but nothing similar to Outsiders, really. But go, well, go, go for ahead. it. I, I like, well, for instance, because obviously Ralph Macchio, <laughs> <laughs> yep. you know, the karate kid, obviously. Sure. Um, yep. You know, you said Steel Dawn, Red Dawn already. Yep. And, um, What else? Oh, there was another one to the tip of my tongue. Oh, well, Risky Business, although not so much Risky Business. Um, I'm not a big Tom Cruise fan. I like him, but he wasn't big on my list back then. Sure. Um, those are the biggest ones. Those are the ones that stand out. And funny enough, the, another thing that stood out when I was trying to think of movies from back in that day was, um, which had nothing to do with any of these characters or any of these actors, but was Lady Hawk. <laughs> oh, Lady Hawk. That's when we, uh, Lady we Hawk actually covered that. Broderick yeah. and Michelle Pfeiffer. Love that movie. I love that movie. And I was thinking that, I, I think that might've been right around that same time frame. Um, I think Lady Hawk was a little bit later, but it definitely would have been like HBO contemporaries because yeah. this movie was on HBO a lot, and as was right. Lady Hawk, which we which we covered on the podcast, and is absolutely one of my favorites. I love that movie. Yeah. Did, uh, have you watched? Have you been watching Cobra Kai? I have, although I'm not up to date. I'm I'm a, I think I'm at least a, a at least a season behind. Oh right. On. Yeah. I think it's still I think it's still running. Right. I think they still make. I think it is too. I forget what it's on now. It's um, Netflix, I think. It's on Netflix now. Okay, yeah, I don't have Netflix at the moment. That's why. Okay. I, that's that's why I haven't caught back up to it. 
Um, so, okay, Matt, for mine, um, I'm going to go with uh, American Graffiti. Um, right. Some other ones that are kind of like, you know, The Breakfast Club. Um, West Side Story. Um, if, if you're if one of the, one of the handful of musicals that, that I like, um, and then as like a, as a, as like a different one, how about, uh, River's Edge? All right. That's some good choices. Yep. Um, the Breakfast Club, actually, that's interesting because even in the Breakfast Club, it's brought up that, you know, oh yeah, after this. Do you think if Brian came up to talk to you in the hallway, you'd right. say anything? No, yep. you you know you'd rag on him the second he left. Right. Exactly. Also, Amelia West of us. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go with two obvious choices. One of them being Rumblefish, sure. also directed by Francis Ford Coppola, also based on an S.E. Hinton novel, and having um, um, Diane Lane and uh, Matt Dillon in it. Then I'm going to go with Stand By Me, which Todd brought up earlier. And, you know, it's not really the same, but I'm always going to be wanting to recommend The Warriors. So, yep, I'm going to recommend The Warriors as well. I am certain that um, 1985-ish Todd or 1986-ish Todd absolutely confused scenes between uh, Outsiders and Stand By Me. I'm sure I did because I absolutely would have seen both of those movies on HBO quite a lot. And uh, I'm sure like at certain times I, I like a misplaced characters or scenes. All right. Well, we're also, this is, you know, season, our season four premiere, and we're going to introduce a new segment that uh, Todd suggested that I thought was really cool. You know, especially since we've been watching a lot of spaghetti Westerns lately. Yeah. We are going to do a segment where we rename the movie in the most exploitive, salacious way (laughs) to try to sell to an audience. Right, right. So imagine, like, imagine you have a drive-in audience who's expecting, like, blood or something exploitive, but this is the movie you get. And it's like, okay, well, maybe I could retitle it. So here we are as the sleazy promoter, (laughs) and I'm going to recommend, I'm going to call this movie... Switchblade Johnny and his fountain of blood. <laughs> I like because it. Because really it's not to accurately describe the movie. No. It's to just use a bit of truth yep. in there yep. to get you to come see it. That's it's like, right. well, there was Switchblades, there yep. was a Johnny, and there, there was, was a fountain, fountain with blood in it. It <laughs> was a fountain with blood in it. Um, I had a couple that I couldn't decide between, but one of them is Bloody Oklahoma of Greece and Glory. And um, um, the other one was The Children of Steel and Fire. <laughs> and then and then also just going back to the um, going back to the Spaghetti Western theme, um, I just added in or well, Spaghetti Western or like, you know, foreign markets, we'll say. I also have um, Sartana and the Outsiders, Oklahoma Rampage. Um, which any Spaghetti Western fan might appreciate because, you know, I just decided that this was a Sartana movie out of nowhere. <laughs> or or Zombie 6 Teen Guerrilla Warriors from the Planet 8 to try to also capitalize on, uh, you know, just randomly making it a zombie franchise and a Planet <laughs> of the Apes franchise at the same time. And I was trying to figure out how to fit in, like, Star Wars, which would have been popular at the time, to try to, like, oh, yeah, no, this is this is like Star Wars as well, but I really couldn't come up with anything. 
Well, like the the true crime novel would probably call be called "Burnt and Bloody: The Violent Deaths of Johnny Cage right. and Dallas Winston." <laughs> right. One died burnt, the other died bloody. <laughs> All right. Um. As always, we're going to wrap this up with the Magnificent Seven Degrees, where we connect this movie to my favorite movie, The Magnificent Seven. In seven steps or less. Uh, anybody got one besides me? I do, but um, it, it's either going to be the exact same one as yours, or yours will probably be better because I swear we've used this before. In fact, I know we have. Um, so I'm just going to do the one that came immediately to my head, which was Emilio Estevez and Young Guns 2 with James Coburn. Okay. Um, I am going to go with, uh, I'll go with C. Thomas Howell, who was in Red Dawn. With well, Patrick Swayze and, and Darren, Darren Dalton, Dalton. Yep. Uh, but they were all in Red Dawn with Ben Johnson, mm-hmm. and Ben Johnson was in Major Dundee with James Coburn. Oh, right on, very good. Uh, did Did you have one, Kristen? No, I was telling Todd that uh, before that I was gonna, I, you know, I'm not familiar enough with the Magnificent Seven, but I was gonna try and do it with my favorite movie, which is also Todd's favorite movie, Halloween. Yeah. But I still couldn't do it because I'm just not good at that stuff. <laughs> and you you ended up doing it for us, though, Matt, yeah, like I, like I said you us. would. So, so go ahead. <laughs> All right. Connected to Halloween. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Emilio Estevez was in, well, let's just say Young Guns with Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen was in Major League with Charles Cyphers, who was in Halloween. There you go. <laughs> I love Major League, too, but I completely forgot Charles Cyphers was in that. He was like the, um, he was the owner's, like, I don't know, advisor or something, right? Yeah, the the who maybe the general. I don't think it was the manager, but yeah, he worked for the owner. Yeah. All right. Well, unless anybody's got anything else to say, Kristen, thank you for coming on. Yes, thank you, Kristen, for having me. It was fun. Yeah, I think we knocked the season one premiere out of the park. Um, remind everybody that you know they can follow us on Instagram. X Letterbox, which is where I really recommend that you follow us because it's all about movies and discussions and I rate movies and, and do reviews and you can kind of get an idea of what the next movie will be if you if you follow me along there. But you can follow us on those platforms under Movie Matt Soros, all one word, M-O-V-I-E-M-A-T-T-S-I-R-O-I-S. We thank you as always for listening. Our season three was our biggest year yet, and I owe that to our audience. Uh, we've, we've Our audience has grown even further, so thank you for listening, and I hope to have you back next time. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Stay gold, people.